Fitzgerald, he is Saeed Jones, and you are watching our first ever birthday episode of ATDM. Yes. Happy One, birthday, baby. Two, thank you, darling. Thank you, darling. ATDM is a Libra. Uh-huh, that is correct. Uh, one year, so that's uh, approximately 48 years in news cycles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we're aging elegantly. Uh, Frank, Frank, I think you got something for me. Could you help me out here a little bit? Before we get into, oh my God, the news cycle, blah, 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 a little joy, my friend. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, baby. Are these real? Those are real flowers. Thank you. You're gonna, and we don't have a vase, so you're gonna have to hold them for the whole rest of the show. Ivy knows I hate surprises, and I've been made aware that there's nothing but surprises this morning. Nothing but surprises. Oh, and eucalyptus. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was your present. That oh, that was it. The hug. Oh, I see how it is. Well, uh, so much. This is this is very lovely. Thank you. Um, I hate you. Uh, so much has changed in a year, uh, not just for us, but you know, America, and our producers again against our will, mm. without warning, Mm-mm. permission, or approval. Yeah, we have not seen this. I uh, have put together this very quick look at our first show. Uh, this is September twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. It's been 86 years. (laughs) We haven't seen this, let's take a look. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Isaac. Wait. Wait, no, I'm Isaac. That's right, I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. And this, this is, is the, the first, first episode of AM to DM. Pay homage. That's right, rock stars. We stand, young queens. Pound it, buddy. <laughs> oh my oh, god! We have not seen that. We have aged so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I will oh, say this. Man. I wish they'd let me wear my hat on the show. I'm gonna, if that kid can wear, if that kid can wear the hat, I'm gonna put in for it. Maybe you've aged out of it. (laughs) We both know (laughs) that's not true. That was adorable. (laughs) All right, we're being told by our producers right here. We're getting a message. We're getting a message. So that is Bubba and Danny. Bubba is six years old and Danny is 10. Uh, And Bubba is Mary's son. Mary Wilson, one of our producers here. And, and Danny is Stephanie McNeil's nephew. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. So our entire team surprised us with that. They must have I filmed that it. while we were out on the road. Mm-hmm. We had not seen that. Shout out to BuzzFeed Legal for approving youth workers. <laughs> All that, right. that takes a lot All of All right, let's take a look at how we actually opened our very first episode a year ago today. Oh God. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. This is Saeed Jones, and you're watching AM to DM, a new live morning show from BuzzFeed News. That is right, baby. Every morning, we are going to bring you the hottest conversations, blowing up your timelines in real time. Now, if you've got something to say, we want to hear it or read it, so tweet it, and we'll try to work it into the conversation we're having, because this show is all the way live, honey. Let's get started. NFL athletes, coaches, owners, we out here 
here in the dark trying to do TV. I just like the moonlight. There was like three cliches just in that one. Just I think we both become more ourselves. Firing them off. My makeup looked better than I thought. Uh, let me tell you, I think your makeup looks better now, though. Good. It's a good, good look. And we've got matching leather jackets on. We're killing <laughs> That's it. That's right. No more kindergarten. And seriously, shout out to the fans. Happy yeah. birthday to you guys, especially the folks that have been watching since day one. We saw that cute video you all made for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I love it. These flowers aren't for me. They're for you. They're for you. <laughs> did you just re-gift my gift? I did. Mother. <laughs> See? Right until the second birthday. Okay. Speaking of history, it's a bit of a theme this morning. Uh, Complex tweeted this. Uh, Ancestry.com is teaming up with Spotify to create playlists based on their users' DNA. To which Sabina replied, the new season of Black Mirror looks great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of weird. Kia Kelly knocked it out of the park with a little help from Rachel Dolezal. Uh, Ancestry Spotify shows that I too got royalty, got loyalty inside my DNA. <laughs> oh God. A very good team. So uh. listen, here's the thing. A lot of jokes can be made on this, of course, but again, we're seeing corporations making money based off of these DNA surveys that people are sending in willfully, yeah. paying to get the results back, and then people are then making money off of that. Yeah. Yeah, wait until it's like uh, Ancestry.com meets Grindr, Ancestry.com meets <laughs> Tinder. And so, you know, it's gonna be great. It's just like, you're not even gonna have to think. <laughs> Look at you, you're just like working for the Ancestry.com marketing oh, team. Hey, Look at you listen, with the everything I've done in terms of dating hasn't worked so far, so maybe I just... All right, uh, do you have like a song that would oh, be on playlist. your DNA playlist? Ancestry playlist. Okay, so the way I would think about it is a song that I could get everyone on both sides of my family, young, old, cranky, petty, uh, to, there's a lot of us, uh, to enjoy, or like okay. at least, you know what I mean? Cause that's, you know. Um, and I think it would be like Bill Withers, probably a Bill Withers song. Ooh. And I think Use Me. Okay. Use me. Like young, old, you know, just everybody, like, from the aunties and the grandmas to the nephews and the nieces, everybody would at least enjoy it. That's I like, my, I like that very much. What about you? Um, Listen, for me, here's the thing. What they're really doing is they're sending you basically the folk songs of the areas that you're supposedly fun. Folk songs? Yeah, exactly. Oh. You know, traditional songs, music from that area. That said, if we're having fun with it, okay. uh, I would go with, uh, mine would probably look like, not the songs I'd want, but it would probably look a little bit like Dropkick Murphys, Dropkick Murphys, Dropkick Murphys, Dropkick Murphys, the Clancy Brothers, to mix it up a little bit, okay. Dropkick Murphys. And of course, I'm just like, I don't know what any of this means, but it sounds like folk music to me. Shout out to the Clancy Brothers, my friend. Okay. They're real good music, Dropkick Murphys. Anyways, Twitter, we want to hear from you. <laughs> what songs would be on your DNA playlist? Let us know using the hashtag AM2 Dropkick Murphys. Dropkick Murphys. I'm going to have to look them up, I guess. Don't. All right. Oh, oh. all right. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of history again, loath as I am to go back to the year 1991, a new article from salon writer Amanda Marcotte makes a strong case for why we're basically already there when it comes to Brett Kavanaugh. I should, I'm going to move these flowers. Um, she argues this. In 1991, the right-wing playbook against Anita Hill was to portray her as nutty and slutty and it's being revived to defend Kavanaugh against allegations of assault. Amanda Marcotte, a politics writer for Salon, joins us now. Amanda, good morning. Morning, thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you so us. much for coming on. So where did the phrase, a little bit nutty, a little bit slutty, come from? So that came from David Brock. Um, he's now known as the guy who founded Media Matters, but back then he was a reporter for the American Spectator and a right-wing basically hack. Um, he's admitted to all of this. 
He wrote a book called The, Re- the Real Anita Hill in 1993. Um, he wrote an, ex- uh, an expose of Anita Hill in 92, and all of it was an attempt to discredit her. And he called her that in the article, a little bit nutty and a little bit slutty. He has since recanted that, said it was unfair, said it was based on lies. But, you know, it is an evocative phrase. And, and to your point about David Brock and his long political life, I mean, part of what we're seeing with people like Biden as well is a lot of like, whoa, past coming back to haunt uh, people. Are you seeing other parallels between either Anita Hill's experience herself or Congress people uh, during those confirmations and what we're seeing now with Kavanaugh? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, the Republicans are trying to evoke the 91 91- hearings about Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill being a witness. It was really understood in the media at the time as a he said, she said event. And that was reinforced by the fact that extra witnesses that the Democrats wanted to bring, um, some of the Democrats wanted to bring, were actually shut out of the hearings uh, by Joe Biden, who was the Judiciary Committee head at the time. And it, it really kind of, I think what happens in this kind of case is it makes it seem like you can just decide to believe who you want to believe, whereas extra witnesses, extra evidence being brought to bear can can really kind of change the situation. So I think that's the parallel now is that Republicans are trying to create the situation where there's no evidence outside of what Kavanaugh says and what uh, Ford says. And, and speaking of what Kavanaugh says, right, he gave that Fox News interview last night, a little bit unprecedented. Um, did you see any parallels there with basically Kavanaugh's approach to this? Yeah, I mean, after the Thomas hearings in 91, he and his wife went um, to People Magazine and did this very soft profile with this kind of cute little huggy cover picture about how they survived this horrible slander against them. And it, it really was kind of a media press to portray Thomas as this like family man, this very soft, gentle soul. And that further is there to discredit Anita Hill's accusations. I think since then, people have realized he was probably almost certainly lying under oath. And I think that we kind of need to look back at what happened then and sort of see if we're seeing the same pattern play itself out this time. To that point, um, Amanda, earlier this morning I was reading a CNN story that made this detail I didn't know. Three senators, uh, Chuck Grassley, Orrin Hatch and Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy were all members of the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1991. So they were part of Anita Hill's hearings. And of course, they're still serving. So they will be a part of the hearing that we will see with Blasey Ford and Kavanaugh uh, on Thursday. And so I wanted to ask, is this part of what we're seeing in terms of the current negotiation about whether or not these senators will have to ask questions or if there will be outside counsel? Like, are they maybe trying to distance themselves because of the experience with Anita Hill? Uh, The way I'd put it is in 91, and if you go back and you watch the videos of these senators and specifically the ones that are still sitting on the Senate Judiciary Committee, questioning Anita Hill, they come across as condescending, sexist, and and frankly, kind of cruel and out of touch. And I think that they realize in retrospect, that's how they looked. I think they also, the Republicans on the committee also realize that's probably how they're going to come across this time around. That's just who they are. It's very hard to hide that in these sorts of circumstances. And so I think what they want is to have somebody else question her 
So they're, they're not on camera looking like the sort of sexist pigs that they're probably going to come across as. Phew. Well, learning a lot. Really appreciated <laughs> reading your piece. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Amanda. Okay, friends, uh, we have some great guests for our special birthday episodes. Uh, we'll be talking to Darcy Carden from The Good Place. Mm -hmm. Is this The Good Place? You know this is The Bad Place. Okay, bad news for our other guests, Hank Green. <laughs> They'll be up later, but up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Thank you. Fire! Fire! Put your pacifiers away, and DM. You're one now. Happy birthday. <laughs> Do I sound like Lindsay Lohan? Perfect. <laughs> Put your pacifiers away. Put your pacifiers away. We adults now. <laughs> We're grown. And again, guys, we have not seen any of these videos, so all of these are surprising to us. But Chrissy Teigen, our original celeb follow. We actually had a segment way back in the day that was oh, like, right. does Chrissy Teigen follow us? Mm -hmm. And then she caught wind of it, I think, and then was one of our first celeb follows. We've been scared to tweet ever since. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you want to do these fire tweets? Let's go. Which? All righty. Andy, you tweeted, death. I've come for you, librarian, oh no. Death, come along quietly and librarian, is that a librarian joke? Death, it's just a phrase. Librarian, because libraries aren't quiet anymore. Okay, librarian, it's an unfair stereotype. Death, look, I'll just come back later. Are they not quiet anymore? Yes, this is this joke is so spot on because have you, when's the last time you were in a library? It's been a minute. Okay, let me tell you. Literally the last time I was in a library, so I was like, shh, I made a little shh joke and the librarian was just like, we don't shush no more. Like, we don't shush. These are places <laughs> of learning. This is a place okay. of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, that is a stereotype and librarians are not here for it. That's they are loud, they are proud. <laughs> I feel like he sent me up to walk and be like, hey, y'all! Walk <laughs> in the library. What's up, Maurice? Side library. Ow! Library's gonna be like, sir, could you please settle down? The library is open! I'm like, no, it's not that loud. It's not that loud. Okay, this tweet comes from young man, this username, Poppy Chulo. What you doing? Okay. Don't give me the aux cord. I don't care about making the car ride lit. I only care about what I want to listen to. We could be headed to a party and I will hit you with all the bops from Adele 19 and 21. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It is autumn now. It me. I'm sorry. You give me the aux cord and it's like, Ooh. hello, welcome to the full collection of Mountain Goat songs, their entire discography. <laughs> we will be starting at the beginning and ending with their latest album, Sadness Will Ensue. Elliot Smith. <laughs> Shout out. Nia, you tweeted, BuzzFeed Unsolved. This will remain me. BuzzFeed Unsolved. Unsolved. Me. Oh shit. Okay, we gotta talk about. I this. gotta explain this one for gotta you. Talk about this. Isaac, I think might be America's number one BuzzFeed Unsolved stan. Listen, guys, have me on the he show. Loves BuzzFeed have me on the show. I love BuzzFeed Unsolved. You get a little nervous when you see them. In the do you, I do. I get nervous when I see them. I get a little starstruck. I've watched a few episodes. You should also know that I have submitted places for them. <laughs> I have been like, here are some places you could go. But every episode, if you've never watched BuzzFeed right. Unsolved, I really recommend that you do. But every episode ends with it being like, this will remain. And then there's a blank. And like, every time it gets me, I'm like, you always think it's going to change. And then it's like, unsolved. I'm like, damn. We have to have Did it again. That was a free endorsement, yeah, I swear. <laughs> All right, this week comes from Cricket. Sometimes my low ponytail looks cute. But sometimes I look like a young man in colonial America eager to start his woodworking apprenticeship. 
you have. I don't know. I relate to this so You've hard. You had a ponytail? No, I yeah. I used to have long I hair. Like you are, you know, from colonial America. I yes, I am from colonial America. No, I used to have long hair, and I relate to this very, very hard because here's the thing: every once in a while, I'll catch a photo of myself, mm. and I'll be like, ooh. I missed the long hair. I looked good. And then every once in a while, I'll catch another photo of myself. Another angle. And I'll be like, oh, that's the photo that made me get a haircut. Oh. That's, yeah, it's real. It's real. It's real out here. You ever have a ponytail? I did. I had dreadlocks yeah. in college that were about to hear that I could kind of put them, but it, it, like, it was too much. And did you look like a young woodworker? Absolutely. <laughs> I look like a carpenter, darling. All right, here we go. Let's Tweet go of the to day. <laughs> Tweet of the day from Dan Spencer. A purge comedy where two pals accidentally kill someone a week before the purge and try to fake the person's life until the murder would be legal. That's just a good, it's a big franchise. There's room for comedy. A concept, I think. Yeah, we could do it. You ready for this? Weekend at Purgies. He laughed a lot louder when I said it the first time. I want you to funny. know that. I it's want you to funny. know that. All right, all right. It's still funny. Who should we kill? Anyway, up next, we're going live from the district, but first, we have another surprise birthday message. We do? I don't know who it is. Nope. Do we? Hey, what's good, what's good? It's your boy, Shamar Moore in the building. I gotta give a shout out to AM to DM. It's your birthday, it's your birthday, one year strong. Keep it cracking, baby. You're doing a damn thing. Happy birthday. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter, Lisandra Villa. Lisa, good morning. Good morning. Happy birthday to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, happy birthday right back at you. Uh, here's a tweet from our very own Paul McLeod. Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor says Democrats are trying to destroy Kavanaugh with unsubstantiated allegations. Whatever it took, whatever the truth really was, they're going to do whatever they could to stop Kavanaugh. Calls it a shameful smear campaign. Lisa, is this messaging being taken up by other Senate Republicans? Yeah, it is. And the other thing that you're also seeing is just a little bit more pressure on Republicans to move this through quickly, right? Especially after the second set of allegations came out on Sunday night, you're seeing Republicans really try just trying to push this across the finish line, especially those that are sort of set on Kavanaugh or at least appear to be. I mean, at this point, it seems to me that there are a lot, there's a lot of noise and certainly a lot of news and information. But in many ways, I'm just like, okay, where are Collins and Murkowski? I mean, presumably the two possible Republican swing votes on this. Have they made any statements? Do we have any new indications of how they might vote? We don't know how Collins and Murkowski are going to vote, and all eyes are sort of on them just because they are the two female senators who might be willing to to uh, vote against Kavanaugh. Um, so, like I said, all eyes are on them. And this isn't a new situation, right? It always seems to come back to them when we're talking about health care. Collins and Murkowski are just two potential swing votes that, that are worth keeping an eye on. So I don't know that we'll actually hear which way they're going to vote before Thursday when the hearing is set for. Um, but, but like I said, they're, they're the ones who will really help determine how this gonna, thing is going to go. How this thing's going to go. Now, there were Believe Women protests inside the Capitol yesterday, uh, and, and I think you witnessed it. What was that like? 
Yeah, I wasn't there for the bulk of it, but I was wandering around the Capitol yesterday, and it was clear that there were a lot of people there um, protesting Kavanaugh. They were wearing black T-shirts. Um, they had buttons with Christine Blasey Ford's name on them. They had signs that said, I believe Christine Blasey Ford. And then I've also sort of seen it creep outside of the Capitol. I was walking to Union Station to catch the metro, and I saw a Kavanope sign posted up. Um, so, so you're really seeing the signs. That, I mean, you would see protests anyway, but you're really seeing seeing them focused on the allegations that have come out against Kavanaugh. I'm embarrassed by how long it took me to get Kavanaugh. Nope. <laughs> it's okay. Tuesday. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's been a long news cycle. Um, I did want to talk about the it's, Fox it's News. It's Tuesday. Interview. Yeah, it is, right? Is it? Yes. Uh, I did want to talk about the Fox News interview a little bit more. Uh, we spoke about it with Amanda Marcotte in terms of parallels to Anita Hill in 1991. But from your perspective, Lisa, were there other kind of standout moments uh, in the Fox News interview that might continue to figure into our conversation going into Thursday? Yeah, well, I mean, the clear thing from the interview, of course, was that Kavanaugh was pushing back on the allegations, continued to do so. This is something that he's done all along. Yesterday marked a little bit of a shift in his rhetoric because he was, is starting to call these um, allegations character smears. Um, but during the interview, there was this, like, really strange exchange uh, about how he was a virgin all throughout um, high school and college, and I think he left it at many years after. And... It's totally irrelevant because none of the allegations actually allege um, that there was intercourse involved. Um, but, you know, it was like a weird personal, you know, like we're just getting a lot of information about, about a Supreme Court nominee that we normally wouldn't hear about. Right. And is it also fair to say just the fact of a Supreme Court nominee doing a primetime interview on Fox News itself odd? Yeah, it's totally weird. Um, the expectation is that this is, you know, this works its way through the Senate very quietly, and and they end up on the Supreme Court. And it's really weird that now there are all of these additional factors to it, including a primetime Fox News interview. 2018. Well, uh, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. See you guys later. See you later. Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Despite what you may have heard earlier, Rod Rosenstein is still in his job, but anything can still happen at any time. Okay. Which um, is very true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's, it's a true statement. Great. And of course, that news <laughs> broke during the show yesterday, and I'm glad we talked about it with Ben Smith, but it's just like, all right, guys. So a lot of tweets uh, and commentary came out of the Rosenstein break news cycle yesterday. <laughs> um, perhaps the most accurate one, of course, came from The Onion. Breaking. Wait. Sorry, false alarm. Ooh, yes, and here's one from Delray, sir. Are you D-A-G, Rod? It's me, Margaret. It took me so long to get that tweet. You, but you got it now. You got it. Mostly. Joining us now to talk about the story is BuzzFeed News legal reporter Zoe Tillman. Zoe, how are you? I'm confused, huh? but pressing ahead. <laughs> yeah, we are confused as well. I feel a little bit like the guy from Memento just trying to figure out what the hell happened yesterday. So help us out, Zoe. What happened? We should happened? check our tattoos. I, I mean, I Let wish me they told check my tattoo over here. <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically the morning started uh, with a story from Axios saying that the deputy attorney general, the number two at the Justice Department, the one who's overseeing the Mueller investigation, that he, Rosenstein, had verbally resigned 
uh, from his post. That was a, a new phrase in terms of under, you know, parsing out what that meant. And that kind of sparked a firestorm among you know, legal reporters, political reporters, everyone scrambling to figure out what was going on. And then we had a series of headlines that sort of got more and more vague and confusing, where it was he had offered to resign or discussed resigning. And then it was he was headed to the White House and he expected to be fired by Trump or, you know, he, he was going to be out or he was going to leave. The, the terms got sort of more euphemistic and vague as the, the hours went on in the morning. Um, and then it sort of culminated with a statement from Press Secretary Sarah Sanders saying that the president and Rosenstein had had talked and that because of the president's busy schedule, um, he's in New York right now with the United Nations, um, they would be meeting on Thursday when Trump returned to Washington. So the deputy attorney general returned to the Justice Department still as the deputy attorney general. And that's where we're at right now. Okay, Zoe, here's a question for you. Um, so much news lately, um, particularly around Rod Rosenstein, has brought us to a heated conversation about what to do or how to perceive news based on um, anonymous sources. And, and, and I think a lot of well-meaning, well-read uh, journalists and certainly, you know, uh, readers are confused about all of this. So I would say from your perspective, um, with your experience as um, a reporter in D.C., what would you just say to people who are like, I just don't know what to make of this anymore? Because it, it is becoming genuinely confusing. I think any time, you know, a reader comes to a story with a source who doesn't have a name, there, you know, there should always be a level of skepticism. And even when, you know, we sometimes report stories citing uh, sources who are not able to be named for any number of reasons. Um, it can be because they worry it couldn't affect their job. There are certain sensitivities. Um, it may be information that they're just not cleared to release to the public, but they, you know, want to release it anyway. Um, but I do think that there should be a healthy level of skepticism anytime we're dealing with anonymous sources. These are individuals who, for whatever reason, are not able to put their name on it. And that be, makes it more difficult to verify the accuracy of where is this coming from. Um, but unfortunately, when it comes to reporting in Washington, and I should say, especially when it comes to reporting um, on, on the legal world in the Justice Department or the FBI or law enforcement, where we're dealing with lawyers, there are certain ethical considerations, law enforcement, we may be talking about investigations that are pending um, or classified information where the stakes are higher for releasing information. Um, it can get especially tricky getting people to just go on the record as themselves to say this is what is or is not happening. Um, but it is just an unfortunate part of reporting in Washington that there are going to be people who are willing to share information but not use their name. And so I think, you know, every reader and even us as journalists, but going into other stories as readers always should go in with a certain level of skepticism and to ask around the reporting and around that anonymous source, what else is there? What else has been corroborated? You know, is it one person not using their name saying this has happened or do they also have you know, other information, other documents, you know, I think you always want to look at what surrounds that, that source. Thank you so much for kind of that yeah. broad view, I'm going to like rewatch that every morning when yeah, I wake up. Right? That was so helpful. That was very eloquent and very helpful. Um, as, in regards to just yesterday, yesterday mm. though, do we know what missteps were made um, and how this story broke? 
You know, we don't. I will say, you know, it's easy to see how a phrase that is vague, like verbally resigned, can then be taken by other journalists and other news outlets who, you know, want to report on what is really big news um, to say, you know, oh, this means that he has resigned. You know, what is the difference between verbally resigned and resign? Well, we learned yesterday that that can mean that someone has spoken the words, I'm open to resigning, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that person has resigned or that person is leaving. So I think, you know, being paying really careful attention to the words that us as journalists and our colleagues are using to describe what's going on and sort of not getting into a game of telephone where the phrase, you know, verbally resign becomes resign, becomes uh, leaving in a blaze of glory becomes something else. Um, you can see how that can morph and get a bit out of control. Um, but, you know, I think we're all here just trying to do our best and with the resources we have and the sources we have to try and make sense of what's going on. I think ultimately we're all here just trying to help our readers and, you know, the greater public out there understand what's going on and shedding light on our American political system. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, and sometimes people get it wrong and we get it wrong and we, you know, try to do better the next day. Yeah, a really good thing and a really difficult thing. Zoe, <laughs> thank you so much yeah, for joining surely. us this morning. Yeah, wow. Sure thing. Thank you. Awesome. Well, listen, up next, I sit down with everyone's favorite Afterlife series. She's not a robot, Darcy Carden. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, we are definitely in the good place because right now I am joined by Darcy Carden, a star of the show. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you so me. much for being here. A pleasure. Really appreciate <laughs> it. All right, so you play Janet. I do. On The Good Place. Yeah. One of my favorite shows, one of my favorite characters. Thank you. You do such an incredible job. Thank you. So what's the big plot twist in season three? Okay, so it starts out with... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But also, wouldn't you be like, no, 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 don't tell me. You're absolutely... Yeah. You actually... You are correct. Right. Because one of the things... I was late to it. Oh, and a lot of people were. That's what I loved about it, is everyone protected the secret of season one so well. That never happens. Right. Everybody loves to spoil it. I like, know. I'm not even going to say it right now, because I know one of the cameramen hasn't seen it yet. He's going to watch it yep. afterwards. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't tell you what it is. I totally agree. It is one where it's like, it, it's an easy binge. Mm. It's all available on Netflix. Mm. I sound like a salesman, but it is. So it's like, if you haven't watched it, don't find out anything about it. Absolutely. And give it like, give it a few episodes because the first couple you might be like, this is this is cute, I guess. No, you gotta but watch you gotta, the whole season yeah. and it's one of the biggest plot twists, in my opinion, since like The Sixth Sense. I... Agree. So you kept it secret. Yeah, I did. Do you think you could work for the CIA? How do you know that I don't? It's weird how you just made me feel like you could kill me. Yeah. I, that that I, felt very... I might kill you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Your CIA background aside, who on the, who on the cast do you yeah. think would be a good secret agent? Um, Ted Danson would not... He did tell a lot of people the secret. He did? He did. Say it again. So he, um, after... After season one came out, we had all promised everybody, especially Mike Schur, the creator, that we wouldn't say anything. And he told us after the fact that he actually told everybody. He told his friends, his family. What? Yeah, yeah, Even yeah. before it was before it aired. Out. And I don't want to spoil it for the camera people, so I don't want to <laughs> tell you, but basically he would tell friends, like, oh, I'm doing this new show. It, you know, it's about blah, blah, blah. And they would kind of be like, oh, that sounds fine. And then he would be like, I'll tell you what's fine. And then he would, he'd be like, and by the way, there's more to it. 
So he, you know, it was like, um, he really, he, it was an ego thing. So he sucked. He <laughs> would not be a good spy. I mean, I would trust him with my life, but no, I don't think he would be a good spy. Trust him with your life, yeah. not with your secrets. Yes, that's right. Who would be, like, awesome? I think that Manny Jacinto would be awesome, the one who plays Jason. Really? He's, like, very, he, he, yeah, he's, like, um... He has a lot like under the surface, and you're like, mm. "What's going on with you?" I love, I love like when I get him one on one because then I'm just like, "Tell me everything." But he can really keep a good poker face. I can see that. Yeah. I can see him as like a James Bond character. Yes, I can too. I think he should. Yeah, I think he. I would love to see him play like an action hero or right? like a, like a like some hot ass like superhero. Absolutely. Is he hot. I, he, we have stand him on this show and yes. how beautiful he is. He is so he standable. Is a man. Yes, he is a man and I get to kiss him. <laughs> Speaking of, what would like your fantasy happy ending for good Janet be? <laughs> You're being so pervy. Um <laughs> By the way, the, all the producers just laughed. We could hear them through the yeah. wall. Um, okay, wait. My, you said your fantasy and you said happy ending in the same sentence. I didn't take it there. You took it there. <laughs> I'm just reading the script. Um, okay, so I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, here's what I'll say. Mike Schur, the okay. creator, knows how this show's going to end. He's got it. He knows. Okay. The writers know. Got it. They won't tell us and we sort of don't want them to tell us because, again, it's like you want to just let it unfold as it unfolds. Um, so I, ha I almost, I don't even think about it because I know it's like taken care of, oh. but I would say I would like Janet to be, okay, does this make sense? She's so giving and helpful and does everything for everyone else. Mm. It would be nice if she was like really happy and taken care of. Whatever. And maybe like a little taking control. Not serving other people, yes. but people. Yes. Oh, I like that. Serving her, you're being pervy again, man. What? I'm not doing that. That's not me. It is. Oh my gosh, I'm melting right <laughs> now. And now I can't stop. I just, oh God, you got me flustered. <laughs> what about a happy ending? Wow. Your fantasy. Oh God. For bad Janet. Okay, bad Janet. Now we can get pervy. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she, um, <laughs> bad Janet. Um, what? would her ending be? I mean, sh her happiness is making other people unhappy. Mm -hmm. So I guess I want her also to be happy. <laughs> and like in control. In a different way. But right. everyone's really miserable. Right. She could be like the king of an empire, I believe. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, she could be running. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. We're not gonna, up. Yeah. yeah, I would like Janet to take over the entire, I mean, bad yep. Janet, to yep. take over the entire bad place. Damn, I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good idea. Okay. I gonna, really like I'm that. I'm text Mike after this. Exactly. Get the writer's room going. Yeah. Um, you're also in Barry. I am. Which is a show that I absolutely adore. Me too. It's, you're like, I'm I into it, it as it. well. Yeah. Um, so I gotta ask. Okay. Who's nicer? Okay. Ted Danson or Henry Winkler? This is a crazy question because... The answer is they are the two best people in the world. It, and it doesn't make sense. Like they've both been in this business for so long. They could be like jerks or beyond and we would sort of give them some slack. We'd be like, well, you know, they've been around or whatever. Right. They are both two of like the warmest, most generous. I mean, I can't, like the examples would, I mean, we, Ted just had us all for like a big sleepover at his house a couple weeks ago and made us breakfast in the morning. Like he's what? a real love. You'll get like a like a you know a midday text from Henry Winkler that's like, 
just thinking about how special you are. Like, he, they're just good, deeply good, wonderful of you. Don't cry. I need better coworkers. I know, I know. They this are is the incredible. Best. They are two really wonderful people. What is a sleepover at Ted Danson's house it's like? It's really fun. Is it like everybody's in their PJs? Yeah. <laughs> That is so cute. Yeah, it was really fun. I love it. So in Barry, you are uh, a, a part of Bill Hader's acting class. Yes. And I know you've done a lot of improv classes. You've got a lot of background yeah. in that. Assuming you haven't had a hitman <laughs> in one of your improv or acting classes, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you? In an improv or acting class? Absolutely. Um, I mean, this is... this is not a great answer because it didn't happen to me, but one of my dear friends who in an improv class a guy pulled a knife in an improv scene. What? Yeah, like, sorry, I got, I got, yeah. I got, I got, I got Isn't that wild? Yes. And, and the whole class was like, yeesh! <laughs> and he was like, well, I, my character would have a knife, so I had a knife. And we were like, that's not how it works, was man. Was this guy's like first day? No, I don't know, I don't know. But he was not asked back. <laughs> he did not get to the next level. I mean, you know, crazy weird things happen in improv classes, mostly just like, you know, desperate, cheesy, like, comedy where you're, it's, it's a lot of, like, anything bad in an improv class most, mostly has to do with somebody, like, making a cheesy joke. It's, it's a lot of swing and misses. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of innuendos. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. I would suck at improv is what you're <laughs> trying to, I like the good straight to camera. No, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do if somebody pulled a knife on you in an improv class? I, w I would use my CIA background. Oh, my God. I would take them down, and I would stomp on their neck until they died. I'm doing that. Look at you pulling it all together. That was beautiful. Darcy, thank you so much You're for coming so on welcome. the show. I had an absolute blast, even though you made me blush redder than my red shirt. <laughs> uh, season three of The Good Place premieres September 27th on NBC. Uh, don't miss it. And more aim to DM in just a moment. Yay. That was awesome. Thank you. JC tweeted, so you're telling me I gotta go to college to get a good job, and then with all the money I make with my good job, I gotta pay off debts from college that got me that job? Yeah, we're all confused, JC. This is Save the Day, brought to you by Wendy's 4 for 4 Meal, and Bethany Byron, a freelance writer, joins me now. Bethany, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So you wrote a really great article in The Goods called, I was a freelance writer, $100,000 in debt. And you mm -hmm. talked a lot about how in journalism there can be this dichotomy where I have felt it too. We get a lot of free stuff sometimes, right. and we, attend these really lavish parties and we kind of live this high life, but at the same time, some of us aren't making that much money. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, even writing this article, I think I was nervous to air it out loud into the public that, you know, as a journalist, I'm struggling with these things and money is hard. It's inherently awkward to talk about money, but I was finding a lot of my friends going through the same experiences of, you know, going to these events and getting these free things. and the juxtaposition of how that fit in with their actual life and struggling with debt like myself and just felt really compelled to write something on it and even though I was nervous the it's really resonated I've had a lot of people reach out to me saying they've gone through similar things in journalism fashion various other industries and I mean the student debt crisis is really really bad I think we're in 1.4 trillion dollars in total nationally in student debt so it was definitely something I, I felt 
uh, would resonate, and I'm glad that it did. <laughs> I mean, it definitely resonated with me. I yeah. have my own student debt, and sometimes I've even thought, in this job, I kind of feel like a fraud almost. I'm getting all this stuff that costs so much money, but that at the same time, I've struggled, you know, through my first journalism job to, like, you know, paying off student loans is really, really hard. So what did being a luxury fashion reporter as one of your first jobs teach you about money and privilege in this industry? That's a great question. I mean, I learned a ton. I think the biggest thing it taught me was not to get swept up and caught up in it and how to kind of fake it till you make it, if you will, and, and really work on personal confidence because even, you know, struggling with debt, there's still ways to present yourself in the world and do a, this great job without being feeling like saddled by this immense amount of debt, right? So I, I think I learned a lot about that and just kind of not to let my debt define me. Um, it took some time, definitely. I was in that job for two and a half years and a good chunk of that I was very nervous and insecure and stressed about money, but I think I, I also learned a lot of tips to be smart about it. So yeah, definitely a great learning experience. Definitely. I think a lot of millennials like you, myself, were told from a very young age, you know, follow your dreams, study what you're passionate about. We had a quote from Erica Rabra who tweeted, most important advice, study what you're passionate about. Yeah, that's what we hear. Right. <laughs> how much should we consider student loans when going into creative fields like you're in, like I am, you know, like fashion, journalism? you know, they don't really always pay that well. <laughs> no offense, BuzzFeed. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. And it's kind of impossible to answer because you never really know your ROI. Like, obviously, certain fields pay better than others. If you're looking to be, you know, a banker or work in finance, you're going to get a pretty decent payoff there. Um, I don't know. I would never tell someone not to pursue their passion. I think just to be smart about, you know, realizing the amount of debt you're taking on, um, knowing the difference between different types of loans. So private loans through banks are the most predatory. You have the highest interest rates from those and the less flexibility when you're paying them off. So I think just being smart about the amount of debt you're taking on and, and how you'll be able to pay it off while keeping in mind what your starting salary may or may not be. And of course, you'll never know in hindsight is 2020, so. Yeah, something I think I've talked about before is know about how much money you're actually gonna be taking home because right. I signed a lease for an apartment before I realized how much money I was actually going to be getting in my pocket. Right. Do you have any other advice for people who are going into a creative field, who are starting out with a salary that is pretty low, but wanna be able to make it in the industry? Oh, that's a great question. Well, from the journalism perspective, I say like hang in there. Even if you're working a day job that's not, you know, reporting or writing, you know, the internet has been great because it's democratized journalism in so many ways, for better or for worse. But you can, you know, blog, freelance, which is hard to get your foot in the door. But once you, you're doing it, it's great to work with different editors. Um, but yeah, I'd say just, you know, hang in there and don't let your debt get you down <laughs> as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, fake it till you make it too. I think yeah. you said you showed up to a fashion show wearing like H&M flats and you oh, know, yeah. you did it. You yes. made it through. So <laughs> that should inspire everyone here. For Bethany, sure. thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Up next, Isaac is sitting down with Hank Green to discuss his new book, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. And it does sound remarkable, so don't miss it. Welcome back. I'm sitting down with Hank Green, author of the novel An Absolutely Remarkable Thing and all-around internet superstar. Good oh, morning, thanks, Hank. Thanks. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Your hair looks so good. Your facial hair is well-groomed. I'm just 
very impressed right now. Your hair also looks ah, great. I must say your glasses are on point. Oh, thanks. Happy I got them a very birthday. long time ago. Thanks very much. Happy actual AM to DM birthday. <laughs> it's been a year. It's been, been a I year. I can't believe it's been a year. And it's been since midnight that yeah. your book has come out. Yeah, most of the stores weren't open then, but they're open now, everybody. <laughs> Go get it. Go buy it. Uh, shop independently bookstores if you can. Let yeah. me ask, how does it feel to be, like, it's it's the release date. It You've feels been really good. It's for so long. You know, honestly, a Canadian bookstore shifted out a week early, so I've got a bunch of people already have the book, and they said a bunch of nice things about it, so I feel, it's like I got a soft launch. The, Thanks, Canadian bookstore. Thanks, Canadian bookstore. <laughs> that maybe messed up a little bit, yeah. but it feels uh -huh. good. Uh, the, the story is, is about this uh, immovable robot. Yeah. It's discovered in the streets of New York City. It is. Um, let me ask, what made you want to tell the story of like kind of this world-changing event? Um, I always wanted to find a story that would like, that I could spend the time necessary to write, which it turns out is a huge amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this to me seemed like a cool story and I liked it, but I didn't really, it didn't like become the story that I needed to tell until I realized that it was also about like some of the stuff that I'd gone through, some of the stuff that my friends had gone through and sort of processing a lot of my relationship with the internet. Processing your relationship with the internet because it's told through the story of April May. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about her and how you relate to her as a character? Well, she's, um, she's, Recently out of college, she has a job that she doesn't like very much. She's got a lot of student loans. Um, she um, is really ambitious, but doesn't really want to admit to her ambition because then she would sort of be accepting that she might not live up to it. And um, and I I definitely like remember those days in my life. Um, and and also like I think that it, like she's a lot younger. Like when it, when this all happens to her, she's a lot younger than I was. I was like 30 by the time somebody recognized me in public. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think it just like so so in a lot of ways it's it's more based on what I've seen a lot of my friends go through. A lot of your friends go now. And here's the thing: April May finds that she's kind of drawn to this viral fame. She oh, takes yeah. videos with the robot. They go viral. She's a success story overnight. Yeah. Um, what is it about that kind of fame that you think April May is tempted by? And do you did you see yourself drawn to it when you found yourself kind of just oh, yeah. starting out? Yeah, I mean, I think that like society tells us that fame is one of the most important things to have. Like everyone sort of unquestioningly accepts that. And, and also like it's, it is, you know, it is influence. They call people who do this job for a living, they call them influencers now, which is basically just saying, like, you are a person who holds power over others, mm. but in a littler word that sounds a little less creepy. <laughs> and and so, like, like, of course we want that. We, we want to influence the world. We want to be valued. We want to be, we want to feel valuable. And so that's what we're all sort of, like, going through life doing. And... And there is this one way now in society where, you know, like you sort of have all of your humanity stripped away until you just become like the vessel for influence. And when society is telling you that that's like the best thing possible to be, and also like you get to feel valued in this way, um, yeah, there's a lot of drive to that. And when, I've certainly felt that. When you become just your brand. Yeah, and and you you can start to imagine yourself as just the the sort of like vessel through which the influence flows. You see, your, you you dehumanize yourself. Mm -hmm. You like take away like the thing about you that you are, mm. and you only become the 
And, and that this doesn't, doesn't just happen with this kind of career. Anytime you have a career that society is prizing really heavily or that you personally are prizing really heavily, like, or, or even like the, you know, your dedication to your family, that can also lead to you sort of like ignoring your needs as a human, stopping seeing yourself as a person, mm -hmm. and instead, instead you see yourself as like just the tool with which the work gets done. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, when we're all freaked out and scared about what's going on every day, uh -huh. uh, and no one knows what's going on, welcome to today, no one knows what's going on. Yeah, literally right now, <laughs> the president is giving a speech, nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it can feel like you know th this this battle that we're fighting. Like it's more important to be a, a a weapon in the battle than it is to be a human being. Than to be a human being. I find it so interesting and so great to kind of hear you talking about it and to read about it in the book because these are issues you've obviously grappled with. It. You said it just a little bit ago that you you do you remember feeling this way. Oh yeah. What did you do? Did you step back? I still, like, what no, would I you still say? feel this way. Uh -huh. I still feel that way totally. Like I, like you can't. You can't really separate yourself from it. What you can do is like like recognize that that like the influence is not the goal. Like having the power isn't the goal. Whatever you're going to do with the power is the goal. And mm. April struggles with this, and I did as well. That like for a while, it's just like I, I I'm going to use the power to get more power, mm -hmm. so that I can have more power to get more power. Because eventually, I'm going to do something good with it. Mm -hmm. But then you just like you lose sight of it because when, when it's happening to you, there's always someone who's worse than you who's more popular than you, right? Yeah, uh, like, yeah. so you're always seeing somebody who's like, you, you're more of a terrible person mm -hmm. and you have more power than me, so I need to get to where you are before I start doing my good thing. Absolutely. Do you feel like, I mean, the tool that you use to kind of find fame, and, and I would argue kind of an art form that you yourself helped start is vlogging and it's YouTube. Do you think YouTube's doing enough to create a safe space for teens and kids, um, as, as especially, I mean, you've said in past interviews that you found out about Logan Paul through the traditional news. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, you know, w what does it mean that these, these young people are given such powerful platforms? I mean, th that's the thing. Are they given those platforms? We, it, it, like, this is the, the era in which all barriers are down and it's like Uber doesn't need to employ people mm -hmm. that you just have a car and you have the app and you, whoever has you know if you got a Kia you can drive people places and you like and so it takes away all barriers to being a, a, a driver and in the same way YouTube and Twitter and Facebook these platforms have taken away the barrier to being a creator and that's like that's the value proposition and so when when we say as a society like well maybe there should be some barriers that's a, that's very strange because for for a long time for me like the great thing about the internet is that it lowered all those barriers mm -hmm. we could all be creators you have a tv production studio in your pocket yeah. and you can make content and you can be like but then then you know, around 2014, 2015, I started to be like, oh, maybe, <laughs> hang on, maybe not everybody. <laughs> oh, uh, and but, we're just not checking. But anyone. But at the same time, like, you know, I gotta, like, I gotta accept that, that, like, people, like, different people are different, and you're gonna like different stuff. And I want there to be content created for people who aren't like my audience. And so I'm not, maybe I'm not always gonna get it. But I do, like, I do think that because fame is so fractured now, and so many people have it in these little pockets things can happen and no one knows it's happening mm. and there isn't the infrastructure there to sort of like help people with themselves not like totally destroy themselves mm -hmm. like psychologically and physically but also the infrastructure there to like help people not make huge mistakes mm. that, that ultimately like 
they shouldn't be making, not just because it's bad for like their audience, but because it's bad for their careers. Right. But they're making those mistakes because the infrastructure isn't there. But they're ma- it's also maybe bad for their lives. I, w- yeah. I want to ask, you just mentioned it, it is our year anniversary. Yeah, it is correct. literally your book's first birthday. Yeah. Uh, but, but Zeroth birthday. That's zero, how, zero, how that works. Zero, zero, <laughs> it's been alive for like 12 hours. Um, but you and John started uh, your project about like 11 years ago. Yeah. Is there any advice you would give uh, to younger Hank and younger John? No, absolutely not. <laughs> None? Oh, no. No. Zero, zero. It all t- t- turned out very well, Isaac. <laughs> Things are good. I'm happy. Like, don't I don't want to mess head. it up. <laughs> I got a book that came out. I've got a giant yeah. audience. I helped yeah. start these incredible my, conventions. My baby is very cute. Things are great. Everything's okay. good. Every, like the path, like, I, I cannot, like, I'm terrified by how lucky I am. Wow. I, like, I just feel very... Uh, I feel troubled that like something is waiting. You're st- that's to- interesting to know though that that feeling of waiting for another shoe to drop doesn't go away. One last question then, if we're looking for advice. No, because guess because Isaac, we're all gonna die. <laughs> so the shoe will eventually drop. That that is a very dark place I'm, to go hey, to. But you're uh, absolutely that that, that is I mean, a shoe. You gotta keep it. That is you gotta it keep keeps it, it in per- yeah. perspective. Was there any advice John gave you on your debut novel? Uh, he did give, when he first read it, he gave me some advice, and I didn't take it. <laughs> I feel like the advice you're giving here is don't take advice. Yeah, yeah, just do what feels right. <laughs> do what feels Yolo. right. YOLO! And we're all gonna die. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. An absolutely remarkable thing is out now. It's a fantastic read. You'll definitely enjoy it. Up next, Saeed and I respond to a few of your tweets. Don't die in the meantime. <laughs> guys happy one year anniversary i hope you guys get wasted and enjoy it because one year is huge i am so proud of you guys now you guys couldn't see it but isaac just lost his shit man that was wild (laughs) snooki had you that's snooki snooki got me shooky i said it i did it no but for real that was amazing all of the celeb morning all of the celeb videos have been fantastic. Really the young kids were fantastic. And again, shout out to our production team who made that all happen with us having no knowledge of it. Also, Snooki said we have to get wasted, so. Oh, that's true. Also, world events, maybe. Well, oh, you better segue, baby. You better segue. So, okay, the timeline right now, we didn't want to take a moment. Of course, Trump is inflicting himself upon the United Nations General Assembly and, uh, you know, just spoke, and just a lot of you, of course, have already talked about this or tweeting about this. He began his UN speech by saying that his administration has accomplished more than, quote, almost any administration in the history of our country. There was laughter, um, and then said, so true, he said, and then the laughter got very loud, um, and he said, didn't expect that reaction, but it's okay, and it's just... Pretty, and I've seen some They reporters. laughed at him? Oh, a lot. It was like noticeable. And, and what I've seen reporters who cover the UN are like, like, listen, typically the most dramatic thing that happens at the UN is like some people might quietly walk out, you know. But open laughter. It was loud. I'm sorry, I was interviewing Hank, so it I didn't see loud. this on the timeline. He, 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 Honey, you would have thought Midge from the marvelous Miss Major was up there. Can we see, we have a clip, have I a think. Clip? Yeah, can we play it? My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. (laughs) Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. He loses control of the audience a little bit. See, 
You know, I mean, I think he feels that he did not. Mm, I think mm, he feels, mm. I can see just in his like New York showman, you know, he's playing, but I don't think they were laughing with us. Mm. Cause this is the thing, us, it's America. Us. Yeah. You're representing us in that moment. Mm-hmm. I do not feel like the international community was laughing along with us. I think it was an at us, at us mm. kind of moment. Civil rights come to mind. Uh, Abraham Lincoln comes to mind. Uh, World War One, World War Two come to mind. A lot of great, yeah, things that Trump really hasn't done. Anyway. But anyways, I'm gonna stick <laughs> with the joy. I believe Frank, our stage manager, has something for us real quick. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm sorry, because I'm uh, gonna read the rest of these looking tweets. Looking at it. I'm getting hungry. Approaching. Look at this. It's happening. Hey! 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 I love it. I love it. I love I'm gonna, this. I'm going to straighten it out. Oh, it's okay. so Rat. elegant. There we go. Beautiful. All right, let's read these tweets. Hello. I'm distracted now. <laughs> you know how I feel like it. Okay, Pix Maven, you tweeted, man, the hat on baby Isaac is perfect, and oh my God, Bubba... I love it. Um, Frank, our stage manager, had to point out to me during the, one of the breaks that Bubba even has like a little nose. Yeah. Thing. I didn't notice that at first. Shout out to Danny and Bubba. They absolutely killed it. I felt like our spirits were captured. They did. In a career in acting, those two. I think absolutely. Bubba said we stand a young queen. Yeah, it was amazing. Mary said he was practicing gestures at home. Oh. <laughs> uh, here's a tweet from Miss Cutting Up. We love you, Kirsten. Uh, the show is a Libra. Mmm. Hmm. Yeah. Now, what is what does that say? Know. What does that say I'll, about? We'll, we'll have to get some intel. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Listen. Hit us. Use the hashtag game to DM if you know what a Libra is like. Because we're Hopefully not Libras. I know the Libras like the scale, so I think they're like a little wild, and then maybe a little, you know, a little. We bit do of, balance each other out a little bit. The range. Man, I believe it in Australia. No, never mind, never one. mind. Yeah, Rachel, hey, Girlfield, you tweeted, I sadly am too busy today to watch, but happy birthday. Oh, okay. We should get birthday drinks later this oh. week since my birthday is Thursday. Okay, so she can tell us about being a Libra. Rachel, hey, Girlfield, happy birthday. Again, an OG fan. Love, sure. Rachel. So happy sure. birthday to you. We'll save you a slice of cake. It smells so good. It's just mm. like wafting. Is that a cookie? Okay. Anyway, thank you to all of our guests <laughs> today. Amanda Marcotte, Lisa, Lisandra Villa, Zoe Tillman, Darcy Carden. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, so Mm. Bethany Byron, and you were so cute with Hank Green! Man, Hank Green Hank was Green getting my real, and I absolutely loved it. Oh, Listen, adorable. we will be back tomorrow. It will be our year and a day birthday. We'll be just as celebratory. So, a cake for every day I like this the year. Colors. It's very soothing. <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow. It's sun rising. Ooh.